Well, God bless you. It's so good to be back again with you today, and thanks so much for coming. We realize it's not always possible to travel to a service somewhere and to fellowship with the other people there, so we bring that service to you, as you know, anywhere you are, anywhere in Israel, anywhere in the world. And we hope you'll be encouraged today as you discover God's peace and His promises for your life. Would you open in your Bibles to Genesis chapter 47? That's where we're going to be today. Ba Sefer Bereshit, Sefer Bereshit, in the book of Genesis. And Perak Albim Vesheva. Just a little trivia there. Albim Vesheva is 47. Ha Sefer Bereshit, Veperak chapter Albim Vesheva. And so that's where we're going to be. Open your Bibles and let's get started. I'd like to talk to you today about a place to grow, a place to grow. You know, you've all heard by now, of course, if you've been coming to this service for any length of time, and certainly you've heard it other places in life as well, you've heard that God loves you. And He does. The simple truth is, He does. In fact, He loves you very much. He loves you so much that He watches over you 24 hours a day, seven days a week. Whatever you're doing, wherever you are, whether you're awake or asleep, <laughs> whether you're texting on your phone, asleep at the wheel of your car. <clears throat> oh, I'm sorry, so many people are. But you're being watched over by your Heavenly Father. And that's because He cares about you. It's not because He's looking and keeping a record of all of the wrongs that you've done. It's because He wants to watch over you and care for you. He loves you. In fact, He desires for you to come to Him and believe on His Messiah so that you can be a child of God and be cared for all the time. But He's a gentleman. He's not going to force Himself on you. He's not going to make you believe in Him. He wants you to see the wonders that He's done. He wants you to see His love, to understand His love, and then come to Him because you want to belong to Him. Now, maybe you've got some questions about all of this, and maybe you've been wondering, well, why are you in that bad situation that you're in, then, if God is watching over you all the time? Why are you facing that trial that's come your way recently? Maybe you're wondering what God has in mind that He's put a hold on your plans and He's taken you to some strange new place where everything's different. It's all changed and you don't know why He did that. You had plans for yourself, but now God has just taken your plans, thrown them off to the side, and He's doing something completely different with you. In fact, we've seen many times in the Bible, though, that God can use adversity to take a person to a place that they would have never gone on their own. He takes them to a place that He knows, and His wisdom is perfect. He knows tomorrow, too, remember, and you and I don't. He knows enough to take you to a place today that you're going to be safe in for tomorrow. He knows where to put you today to where you're going to be blessed tomorrow. And sometimes He takes us aside for a while and He brings us to a place where we can see things from a different perspective, a place where we can rest for a while, a place where we can become stronger and rest for a while, you see. And we need to be stronger. We need to prepare. He needs to prepare us for the things that He know 
he knows is coming our way in the future. And so he puts us in a place offline, if you will, <laughs> you know, not, not online on the internet, but he takes you off of that and puts you in a place to where you can listen to him, a place where you can grow in him. Now that's what's happening in our story today. In Genesis chapter 47, let's take a look at it, starting at verse 1. I'll read it to you. It says in, verse four, in chapter 47, verse 1, it says, Then Joseph went and told Paro, remember that's how we say Pharaoh, Be'ivrit, Be'ivrit in Hebrew. And then Joseph went and told Paro and said, My brother and my fathers, my father and my brothers, their flocks and their herds and all that they possess, have come now from the land of Canaan. And indeed, they're in the land of Goshen now, he says, part of Egypt. Verse 2 then continues, it says, He took five men from among his brothers and presented them to Paro. Then Paro said to his brothers, What is your occupation? He was saying, What's your job? What do you do for a living? And they said to Paro, Your servants are shepherds, both we and also our fathers. And they said to Paro, We've come to dwell in the land because your servants have no pasture for their flocks, for the famine is severe in the land of Canaan, you see. It's like I told you last week. When there's a famine, there's no rain. When there's no rain, there's no grass for the livestock to eat. There's nothing for the flocks to eat. And so he says now in verse 4, it says, They said to Paro, We've come to dwell in your land because your servants have no pasture for our flocks in our land, in the land of Canaan. Now therefore, please let your servants, they ask him, Now therefore, please let your servants dwell or live in the land of Goshen. Verse 5 then says, Then Paro spoke to Joseph, saying, Your father and your brothers have come to you. The land of Egypt is before you. Have your, fathers and have your father and your brothers dwell in the best of the land. Let them dwell in the land of Goshen. And if you know any competent men among them, then make them chief herdsmen over my own livestock. Now, remember that Paro really appreciates Joseph. It was Joseph that told him about the seven good years that were going to come in which the crops would be abundant, but that they would be followed by seven bad years of no crops, no rain, nothing like that. And people would starve if they didn't have food. So Joseph came up with a plan. He told uh, Paro, he said, here's what you should do. Take 20% of what everybody gets from their crops now for the next seven good years and put it away in storage. And then that way we'll be planting that and using that all along for more and more crops to last us through the seven bad years. Now let's talk for a few minutes before we get into the rest of the chapter here about what happened last week in chapter 46. In our last message last week, we saw that Yaakov, Jacob, Beavri, that's how we say Jacob in Hebrew, Yaakov, which is Joseph's father, Jacob is the patriarch of the family. You may remember that God renamed Jacob to Israel. Jacob meant heel catcher, deceiver, because he had been deceiving his family and his brother Esau. But when he met God, God changed his heart so much 
that he changed his name as well, and he changed his name to Israel. You say, well, what do you mean, Israel? Well, that's how we say Israel in Hebrew, Be'evrit in Hebrew. So you can say Israel if you want. If you want to sound like an Israeli, you can say Israel, you see. And in our last message last week, we saw that the patriarch of the family, Jacob, had packed up everything he had. He got all those people in his family all ready to move to a new country, strange new place that God was really forcing Jacob to move to, really. Remember, there was a severe famine here that we're talking about, and it was all throughout the region, not only in Egypt, but throughout the land of Canaan, all in the Middle East in that whole area, no rain at all. And without rain, what happens? No crops grow. Without the crops, there was no food for the people to eat. No grain, no bread, no vegetables, no fruit, nothing at all. And you might think that, well, they could just eat meat from the animals, but wait a minute. The animals eat the grass and the things that go, grow on the ground to eat, and that's how they grow. And without that, they're not going to be eating. They'll be dead. There's no rain. It affects everybody. It affects man. It affects the beasts. It affects everything. The whole economy at that time was driven not by computer service or anything like that. It was driven by agriculture. It wasn't driven by machinery or industrial things. It was driven by agriculture. If you didn't plant it in the ground, it didn't grow. You didn't eat that year. And that's a problem because you can only go a few days without eating. Unless you've eaten as much as I have in the last week, maybe I can last a couple of weeks. I don't know. But you see, the famine was really severe. Now, Jacob had heard that there was food down in Egypt. He heard that there was grain to make bread because remember Joseph's plan that he had told to Paro. Paro liked the plan. He put Joseph in charge, and Joseph started saving up the grain in the good years so it would last them through the bad years. Well, not only did that work for Egypt, but they had so much food left over that they were able to sell it to other people coming down from other countries around that region, you see. And Jacob, Joseph's father, was up there in Canaan. Now, remember, Jacob thought that his son had died uh, about 13, 15 years earlier. And he had pretty much resigned himself to the fact that uh, Joseph, the firstborn son of his beloved wife, Rachel, whom he lost when she gave birth to Joseph's younger brother, Benjamin, Jacob heard that there was food down in Egypt, grain to make bread, down there in Egypt. You know the story by now. Jacob sent his sons down to Egypt to get some grain so they could have bread to eat and not starve to death in this famine. But while his sons were in Egypt, they discovered that their brother Joseph, the one that they sold into slavery, was in charge of all of Egypt and all of the food distribution, and he was the one selling the food, and they would have to buy the food from him. Joseph recognized them, but they didn't recognize him. But after a while, Joseph did reveal himself to, him, to them, but they were afraid. They were afraid that Joseph might get even with them for selling him into slavery and getting rid of them and of him and telling his father that he had died probably and you know all all of this but Joseph wasn't vindictive Joseph wasn't thinking about revenge Joseph loved his brothers he forgave them he said look i know you meant evil i know you meant to harm me but god was in this 
He used it for good. And now I'm in this position to where I can give food to all of our family, to your wives, your little ones, our father, all of our family will not perish now because there's no food because God has brought me down to Egypt and put me in this position so that through my position here that our whole family could be saved. And so they understood that Joseph really wasn't eager to get even with them. He, he wasn't trying to get revenge on them. They, they were cautious, but Joseph kept telling them, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. Now, while those sons were in Egypt, they discovered Joseph, as we said. Joseph revealed himself to them. And then Joseph told them to go back and get Jacob, their father, the father of all the brothers, and to bring their wives and to get their children and get all the people who were with them and come on down to Egypt and live here, he said. He said then he could take care of them and give them all the food that they needed for their whole families. That was like 66 people or so living in that little tribe area with Jacob there. Members of his family and kids, grandkids, their grandkids, all this sort of thing. J uh, Joseph said, come on down here. I'll take care of you. I'm in charge of all the food. And there's a place where you can stay down here that's got plenty of pasture for the herds to graze so the livestock can be fed as well. Now remember Egypt has got the Nile River Delta, the place where the Nile River empties out into the Mediterranean Sea. And the, and the Nile River is huge. And everywhere it goes, especially right there at the entry into the Mediterranean Sea, there's all this lush green land on both sides of the Nile River. And Joseph's telling them, I've got just the place for you. It's got plenty of grass for the livestock to graze. We have plenty of food for you to eat. Everything's going to work out. It's all pleasant here. I know we're in the middle of a famine, but God has blessed this particular place with this river delta and all of this water, even in the middle of the famine, all this green grass and everything's good down here. And we have food because we've saved it up because the Lord revealed to us that there was going to be seven good years followed by seven bad years. And so after seeking God, about such a big change for so many people, Jacob, after hearing from his sons that Joseph wanted him to come down, Jacob got everyone together and he planned the big move. He set out on the journey by foot, by cart, by donkey, with all of their things, 66 people in all, young, old, people with medical conditions, people healthy, and they all came to Egypt. Now I want to show you what a man of faith Jacob is. Here he is, a very old man. He can't just get on an airplane and fly down to Egypt. He can't just get on a bus and sit back while the driver drives him on down to Egypt. No, he'll be riding at best in a rough, stiff, very bumpy cart pulled along by a low horsepower donkey in the heat of the day, sun beating down on him. And in the cold of the night, he'll be sleeping out under the stars with all the other wild animals, the insects, the snakes, the bugs. It was a real step of faith for Jacob to make this journey. It might be even the last thing that he ever did.
I'm sure it crossed his mind. He's very, very old. A lot of those people, when you get to be that age, I'm not talking from personal experience, of course, maybe a little bit, but nonetheless, when you get to be that age, you start kind of liking just staying around the house. You don't like to get out and do all the things that you used to could do. But nonetheless, Jacob knew that God was the one who was taking him to this new place. Here's what you need to remember. And where God guides, God provides. So Jacob led his family by being an example of a man of faith. He used his last years on earth to show others that they could live life trusting God and that God would never let them down. You see, even though Jacob and all the people with him had to pack up all of their things and move far away to a strange new place where even the language was different, God was the one who was forcing them to do so. Well, what do you mean forcing them to do so? He had a decision, Pastor Stephen. Well, no, not really. I mean, it was, it, it was stay there and die of starvation because there was no food. Or it was go down to Egypt where he'd heard that there had been food and letting Joseph take care of him and relocating there. Surely one day this famine would be over. But now he's, he's got this invitation, not only from his son whom he found out was alive still, and he's very happy about going to see him, but the king of Egypt, Pharaoh, Paro, the king of Egypt, the king of the most powerful nation in the earth at that time probably, the king himself invited him down, invited Jacob and all of his family down. And Joseph is the prime minister and in charge of all the food and all the wealth, and he invited him down. So now Jacob is pretty happy to go. But remember last week we saw that he stopped along the way. Before he got to Egypt, he stopped in Beersheba. Well, number seven is how it translates. Beersheba is a city in Israel today. It still is. It's in, the, it's in the biblical writings as well, of course, from Abraham and Isaac as well. But Beersheba is very, very much in the south as you're going toward Egypt. That's the last major place that you're going to be going to before you go into Egypt, you see. Jacob stopped there, and he built an altar, and he prayed to the Lord, and he sought the Lord. And at that time, God reassured him. God knew what he was there for. He knew that even though the king had invited him to Egypt, even though Joseph, his son, the prime minister, had invited him to Egypt, Jacob was still a man of God. He didn't want to do it just because it looked good in man's understanding. He wanted to do it because it was something that God wanted him to do. That's the way you live life. You pray about things. Don't look at it with your own reasoning. Because there is a way that seems right unto man, the Bible says. But the end of that way is death. But what the Bible also says is commit your ways to the Lord. Lean on Him. He'll direct your steps as you go through life. Jacob was a man of God, so he had sought God. But even in his old age, even in his weakness, he had the faith to get up and go this long trip. Make that distance. Just remember, it will not be your strength that pulls you through these long trips, through these trials. It'll be the Spirit of God. 
So don't be asking yourself, well, I don't know if I can make that. Maybe I should like get some other thing to do instead of do this and go where God is calling me to. You go where God wants you to be and where God guides, God provides. Wait on the Lord and He'll renew your strength, it says in the book of Yeshayahu Hanavi, Isaiah the prophet. Those that wait on the Lord will renew their strength. They'll mount up with wings as eagles. They'll run and not be weary. They'll walk and not faint. Amen. Now, I've already spoken to you about how they would survive the famine being down in Egypt. And, of course, that was a huge blessing. But there were other things about Egypt that God was planning as well. Things that most of the other people had never even thought about. Even though Jacob had 66 people that were part of his family in Canaan, in Canaan there were large tribes of other peoples there living in the cities. People who had been there for many more years than Jacob had been there. And these other tribes were far more numerous than Jacob and far more powerful than Jacob's family. And here's why I'm telling you this. Different tribes lived in different areas of the land of Canaan. So there was a lot of tension and a lot of competition for the limited land and resources such as springs of water, wells, green areas for grazing livestock. And these tribes had wars with each other over these resources. It would have been very difficult for Jacob to try to live peacefully in that place at that time. And he only had 66 people. I know. God could fight his battles for him, but God had another plan. God was going to bring Jacob down to Egypt, the most powerful nation on the earth at that time, and he's been invited there by invitation of the king. They would be asked by the king of Egypt himself to be his guest and to stay in the best part of all the land of Egypt for as long as they wanted, and the king would take care of everything they needed for all of them in Jacob's family, you see. The king would supply all the food, the water that they need, the crops, the livestock, everything that they could ever imagine or want. They wouldn't have to worry about wars like they would back in Canaan with other tribes rising up against them all the time. Remember, they were only 66 people. These other tribes were far, far more numerous there in Canaan. They had wars with each other all the time. That would have been a difficult thing for Jacob to try to do, especially at his age. And the people then remember that many of the people uh, in that number of 66 were children. They couldn't fight, and the women wouldn't be able to fight. And in the middle of all this famine as well, that's a lot to deal with. Here's what I'm saying. Sometimes those trials that you face, like the trial of the famine, causing Jacob to have to go down to Egypt, sometimes the trials that you find yourself facing can be a blessing in disguise. God was leading Jacob and all of his clan into a place of safety, a place of peace, a place where they could grow. God would use the nation of Egypt to greatly grow Jacob's family, Remember, God had changed Jacob's name to, changed his name to Israel. Now he's governed by God. God would greatly grow Israel, the nation, during their time in Egypt. Many years later, as they're still there about to leave Egypt, 
when Israel comes out of Egypt to go back into the promised land, they would be a great multitude of people. Some people estimate 1.2 to 2 million people that they become. Now what happens about that? Well, they go along their way back into Canaan later. God would teach them about himself along the way. He would teach them his word along the way. He would care for them and watch over them. But also along the way, Israel's people would find out about their own sins and their own need for God's forgiveness. And then as they journeyed back toward the promised land, Canaan, this time they're not 66 people. They're between 1 and 2 million people. Those other tribes that would have made war with them earlier, they're not even going to think about it. In fact, if you read ahead in the Bible, you'll find out in their journeys back to the Promised Land, the other tribes were now afraid of Israel. What had happened? God used that place where He had taken them so that they could grow. He had brought them in times of adversity because of the famine. No crops, no water, no food for the animals or for them. They were in danger of perishing. Hard times had driven them down into Egypt. God used that hard time, that trial, to bring them to a place where they could grow. Then later they become from 66 people to one or two million people. And now they can go back to the promised land without having to worry about things, you see. In fact, the whole journey to Egypt at that time, in that time that they were in Egypt, it became clear that God had brought them to a place of peace, a place where they can rest for a while, to where they could get close to the Lord, a place where they could grow, not only spiritually, but physically in numbers as well, but spiritually certainly, because they would get the law of God, they would see the Lord appearing to them, and the pillar of fire and the cloud and, and leading them through the wilderness later when they were to come out of Egypt. You see, God had brought them into a place where they could grow spiritually and physically. But sometimes in our own lives, we don't see the reasons why God has us in the trials that we're facing. And in those times, we would be wise to hold off on the questioning of God. Hold off on second-guessing His decisions for our lives. Instead, think back about the times that He's been faithful to care for you. All the times that He's brought you through those dark, hard trials and out to the light on the other side again. All the times He used what looked like a setback to turn it into a setup that ended up bringing you to a better place and blessing you instead of hurting you. You just patiently go through the days of your life giving each new day into the hands of your loving Heavenly Father. He won't let you down. You can trust the Lord. Now quickly, let's go through the rest of chapter 47, starting at verse 7. Most of what we're saying in our message today, I've already said to you. So fasten your seatbelts. Here we go from verse 7. Then Joseph brought in his father Jacob and set him before Paro. And Jacob blessed Paro. And Paro said to Jacob, How old are you? And Jacob said to Paro, The days of the years of my pilgrimage are 130 years. Few and evil have been the days of the years of my life. They have not attained to the days of the years of the life of my fathers in the days of their pilgrimage. 
So Jacob blessed Paro, and he went out from before Paro. And Joseph situated his father and his brother and gave them a possession in the land of Egypt, like we said, a good place that had all kinds of water and uh, crops for the livestock to eat, and the best of the land in the land of Ramesses. And that was an area in Goshen, really, is what it was called. And as Paro had commanded, he said, give them the best of the land, let them settle in Goshen. So he took them to the land of Ramesses. That's what that region was known as. Verse 12, then Joseph provided his father, his brothers, and all of his father's household with bread, according to the numbers of their families. In other words, he provided everyone with enough bread to eat. Whatever they needed to eat, they had enough. Verse 13 there, it says that Joseph starts to deal with uh, the rest of Egypt with their problem. Remember, they're in a famine and he's the one selling them food. So it goes on now in verse 13. It says, now there was no bread in all the land for the famine was very severe. Joseph was the one selling it, but the people didn't have it unless they came and bought it from Joseph, you see. So the famine was very severe, it says in verse 13, so that the land of Egypt and the land of Canaan languished because of the famine. It was rotting away. It was drying up. And Joseph, it says in verse 14, gathered up all the money that was found in the land of Egypt and in the land of Canaan for the grain which they had bought. And Joseph brought the money into Pharaoh's house. And then in verse 15, when the money failed, when the people didn't have any more money and money wasn't worth anything, some of you who have lived for 30 or 40 years and you know what uh, a few dollars used to buy, and now it takes a whole lot more to buy the same thing, right? You know that money can get weaker and weaker as time goes on. But in a famine, when you're trying to buy food to keep you from alive, you might have to have a fortune to buy a piece of bread to live for one more day. When a man is hungry, when a woman is hungry, all that money doesn't do anything for them, you see? And so it says in verse 15, so when the money failed in the land of Egypt and in the land of Canaan, all the Egyptians came to Joseph and said, give us bread because why, you know, why should you watch us die in your presence? And so for the money had failed, then Joseph said, give your livestock then and I'll give you bread for your livestock if the money is gone. Verse 17, so they brought their livestock to Joseph and Joseph gave them bread in exchange for the horses, the flocks, the cattle, and the herds, and for the donkeys as well. Joseph used their livestock and used that like money. Now, in the verses that we just read, we see a very important message about the heart of God. You see God's chosen people, of course, are Israel, Jacob's seed, Isaac's seed, Abraham's seed, but God, we see, cares about all the peoples. God didn't just give Joseph enough wisdom, enough food to save Israel's family, Jacob's family. He also gave Joseph enough food to save all of Egypt. Why is that? Well, remember that God made all mankind in His image. Male and female, He created them. In His image, He created them, God says, in the book of Genesis, chapter 1, verses 26, 27, along about that area. And God desires that everyone, not just Israel, but that everyone would come to Him and be saved. 
Now the nation of Israel, by the way, you say nation of Israel by saying Am Israel. Am Israel is nation of Israel. Am Israel has a wonderful, unique calling unto God. That's what the Bible teaches. It teaches that God's going to use the mightily that there is chosen people. Through them would come his Messiah, Yeshua, the Son of God, to save us from our sins, the Lord. Through them, the Jewish people, the word of God would be kept and handed down faithfully from generation to generation so that all of the other people of the earth could have a copy of the Word of God and understand what they must do to be saved and understand what God is like so they can know Him and seek Him and give Him glory and praise. We were created by the Creator to be His children. And God is concerned also in this story about the children in Egypt, about the families and the people in Egypt. So not only does he give Joseph enough food and, and everything to save his family, Jacob and the 66 people that came with him, you see, but also he gives Joseph the wisdom and a plan and enough food to save the entire land of Egypt. Now, I don't know what the population in Egypt was at that time, but I'll tell you something. Population of Egypt today is so big, it's around 80 to 90 million people, I think the last time I heard. It is the largest Arab nation on earth. The largest Arab nation on earth in terms of population. God cared about every one of them. Yes, Israel is a special treasure to the Lord, but God loves all people. And he desires for all to be saved and not perish. And it's an honor that the Messiah who would save all people would come through and from the Jewish people. And it's an honor that the Jewish people have been granted the ability to take care of the Word of God and to be the keepers of the Word of God and to make sure it was not changed and make sure that it was kept properly so it could be handed down through all the ages to all the world, as God had said in the Tanakh, and I will make you a light to the nations that you should be for salvation to the ends of the earth. He's speaking of the Messiah. And the Messiah came from where? Through the Jewish people. So he's talking to the Jewish people. You're going to be a light to all the nations. People will know about the true and living God through you. I'm going to be revealed through you, he's telling the Jewish people. And that would happen when, they, when he took them out of Egypt. Through you, I'm going to be revealed to all of the world and be renowned. And people would see the mighty hand of God, the creator of all things, the maker of the universe. They would see his works. They would see who he is and the things that were on his heart. And then the Jewish people would therefore help in ushering in the knowledge of the true and living God the creator of all things, to all the nations. And this they did. And this they did through the Messiah. You think about that now. Through the Messiah, His name now has gone out through all of the earth. His name has gone out to all of these nations now that know about Him and have heard about Him. And even yet, it's going out to the rest of the people as well. Now let's continue in verse 18. It says in verse 18, 
When that year had ended, they came to him the next year and said to him, We will not hide from my Lord that our money is gone. My Lord also has our herds of livestock. There's nothing left in the sight of my Lord but our bodies and our lands. Why should we die before you? We don't have anything, they're saying. The famine is stricken everything. There's no crops. There's no rain. There's no economy. There's no food. There's nothing for you. You have our food. You have our livestock. You have our, you have our money. Why would you want us to die before you, they're saying. But he has no intention of them dying. But they tell him, they say, buy us and buy our land for bread. Give us bread and we'll sell you our land. We'll sell ourselves to you. We'll be servants of Pharaoh. Give us seed to plant that we may live and not die, that the land may not be desolate. Then verse 20, it says, Then Joseph bought all of the land of Egypt for Pharaoh in this way. For every man of the Egyptians sold his field because the famine was very severe upon them. So the land became Pharaoh's. All of the land of Egypt became Pharaoh's. And so as for the people, he, Joseph, moved them into the cities, out of the countryside into the cities, from one end of the borders of Egypt to the other end. Only the land of the priests he did not buy because the priests had rations given to them by Pharaoh and they ate the rations which Pharaoh gave them. Therefore, they did not sell their land because Pharaoh took care of them in a special way from the rest of the people. Then verse 23 continues as we get toward the end of the chapter. Then Joseph said to the people, Indeed, I have bought you and your land this day for Pharaoh. Look, here is seed for you. You've sold your land to me. Here's the seed. Here's the food. Go and sow this seed in the land. And it'll come to pass in the harvest from now on that you will give one-fifth of what you harvest to Pharaoh. Four-fifths of what you harvest will be your own. I like that. One-fifth goes to the government. Four-fifths you keep. As seed for the field, he says, and for your food and for those of your household and food for your little ones. Verse 25 then, so they said, you've saved our lives. Let us find favor in the sight of my Lord and we will be Pharaoh's servants, they say in verse 25. Verse 26, and Joseph made it a law over the land of Egypt to this day that Pharaoh should have one fifth, except for the land of the priests only, which did not become Pharaoh's. Now, in the verses we just read, let's talk about it. It would be easy to think now at first look that Joseph is simply taking advantage of the people, taking everything they have, their livestock, their money, their, their land, everything, just, so that, uh, just to keep them alive. And, and then he does nothing for them after they have nothing else to pay with. But that's not what happened, is it? What happened was Joseph took the things that they gave him and he turned it around. He invested it in ways to take care of them. He gave them seed in return that they could plant and then grow crops and take care of themselves in the future, you see. You've heard the saying, you know, you can give a man a fish and feed him for a day. Or you can teach him how to fish and feed him for a lifetime. That's what Joseph was doing. He could have given them bread every day, but after a while he gave them seed and told them where to plant it, told them they could go and plant it, and now they could have their own crops, you see, because the year before it had been so bad there was no seed. 
but now they were able to start planting again a little bit, it seems. Now, in reality, Joseph was taking what they had, investing it back for their own safety and their own welfare. There were no doubt many people who simply did not know how to survive a famine. It'd be the same today in a famine. Many people would die because they just don't know what to do. They go to the stores and they find out they, they don't have any food. They don't think about planting a food. They don't think about eating things that grow in the wild that you can eat and stay alive on. They don't think about that because they don't know how. And so it's the same way then. There were a lot of people that just didn't know how to survive in a severe famine. But God gave Joseph a plan that would save everyone. And so Joseph is now taking what they give him and turning it around to bless them and keep them alive and make it to where they will survive and later on even thrive. Now at first he moves all the people in from the countryside, the rural areas, into the cities. Now I was raised in the country I like the wide open spaces and the big sky overhead and the countryside of East Texas where I grew up. But Joseph isn't too worried about what view each person has as they look out their windows. No, he's concerned about saving their lives. When the food is collected, stored in a central place in the cities, it will be easier for the people to bring the 20% of their crops to keep in the big storage towers there in the city for a later time if the famine gets worse. And while the famine is on the land, the people will easily be able to get food from the supply that Joseph has stored up right there in the cities because it's close to them. And so you see that all of the people are getting enough to eat now because God gave Joseph wisdom on what to do. And he told them ahead of time in a prophecy, a prophetic dream that Pharaoh had, God told Joseph what was going to happen. So God gave him the plan of how to prevent people from starving. So all the people are getting enough to eat now. And it's easier for them to get their food day by day when they live close by to where the food supply is being distributed there in the cities. Now, unlike some governments, Joseph didn't simply take the land that the people in the country had. No, he traded that land for food and also for a place to live in the city. A lot of governments would just say, okay, give me your land to pay your bills. Okay, see you later. Joseph says, well, give me your land I'll, and to buy some food, and I'll use it to give you the food, and oh, by the way, I'll also give you a place to live here in the city so that you can survive because you're close to where we distribute the food. Joseph was concerned. Joseph cared about the people where the people could be cared for more easily, so he brought them out of the countryside and into the city. He was always thinking about the people all throughout this crisis, all along, and in the end, Joseph gives the people back enough seed to plant toward the end of the famine so that they can go back to planting and harvesting their own crops again and be productive and be profitable again and even be prosperous in how they live. Joseph never intended for the government to have everything forever. He just wanted to manage things during the time of severe emergency. Then as the famine begins to end, Joseph tells the people to remember to give 20% of their grain each year to the government so the government can store up an emergency supply in case of a famine. 
some other emergency comes up, they'd be prepared if it comes along again. But Joseph tells the people they can keep 80% of everything they grow. 80% of everything you grow, you can keep, Joseph said to the people. I wish someone from the IRS would read this chapter. But anyway, let's finish up in the last verses of this chapter, starting again now at verse 27. It says in verse 27, So Israel dwelt in the land of Egypt, in the country of Goshen. And they had possessions there, and they grew and multiplied exceedingly. And Jacob lived in the land of Egypt 17 years. So the length of Jacob's life was 147 years. And when the time drew near that Israel, remember that's his name too, Jacob or Israel, when the time came near, it says in verse 29, that Israel must die, Jacob must die, he called his son Joseph and said to him, Now if I have found favor in your sight, please put your hand under my thigh. That's how they did a promise. It's kind of like, you know, you know this, you know, sometimes some of the kids in America do pinky promises and they'll join their little fingers that pinky promise me you'll do this. Well, this way, you would put the hand under your father's thigh like that as he was sitting down, put it under down by the knee and everything, and you would promise him. That's basically a way of saying, I am under you, you are over me, and I am promising you because I'm under you that I will do this thing that we're talking about. And so he put his hand under his thigh, it says in verse 29, he says that you will deal kindly with me and truly with me, Jacob says. Now, if I've found favor in your sight, please put your hand under my thigh and deal kindly and truly with me. Please do not bury me in Egypt, verse 30. But let me lie with my fathers. You shall carry me out of Egypt and bury me in their burial place, place where Abraham was buried, place where Isaac, Isaac was his son was buried. And he said, Joseph said to his father, I will do as you've said. And he said, swear to me. And so Joseph swore to him. It says in verse 31, so Israel bowed himself on the head of the bed. Now in these last few verses, we see that Jacob wants to make sure that Joseph knows that he doesn't intend to stay in Egypt forever. He knows it's a temporary thing for him and that God called him to Israel. The land at that time was called Canaan. He knows that Canaan is where God called him. And so he knows that he's going to be leaving there and going back to the promised land that God told him to stay in. And so Joseph promises his father Jacob that he will be buried in Israel after he passes away. And by the way, Joseph sees this and later at the end of his own life makes the same request. I think it's Exodus chapter 13, verse 19. We read about Moses taking the bones of Joseph after he had died with them as they're going back toward the promised land. Joseph asked that his bones would be brought out of Egypt and back into the promised land. And that's the same heart we should have, isn't it? That no matter what's happening in this evil and corrupt world around us, we want our dwelling to be in heaven with our Heavenly Father enjoying His gift of everlasting life with everlasting peace, everlasting joy, and beholding the beauty of the Lord forever. But until then, let God direct your days. Don't worry if your plans don't work out like you wanted them to. 
If you release your plans to God and exchange them for His plans, it's then that you will find true peace in life. And just remember that there's times of joy you're going to experience in life. And there's also times when God's going to carry you into a place that you don't understand what's going on. Don't be afraid. Your Heavenly Father knows what's best for you. He's going to cause everything to go just fine for you, so don't worry about it. Remember that He's holding your hand, guiding you through those valleys, and also to those mountaintops. Those mountaintops are a place to reflect, a place to remember all the wonders that God has done, all the victories that He's brought to you in your life. Likewise, those valleys are also a place of blessings because they're a place to grow. Amen. Now, why don't you give your life to the Lord today? Right now. If you call out to Him, He'll hear you cry, and He'll answer you. He'll rescue you from that darkness you're in, and He'll shine His light on your heart. You'll be given a new life. He'll change you into a new person. Throw all of those past failures away. You'll be made completely new, given a new start in life. And He'll give you everlasting life in heaven. And that's guaranteed by God Himself. Now we want to give you an opportunity to believe in Jesus as the Messiah and Lord. And to receive God's peace in your own life. This peace that we're talking about. You can be saved and given everlasting life in heaven by simply believing that God sent His one and only Son into the world to save us from judgment. Just pray something like this if you want. You can repeat it after me if you'd like. Just say, speak from the heart and say, God, I do want to know you and have real peace in life. I do believe on your son, Jesus, the Messiah, as Lord. Please forgive all my sins. I give my life to you. And thank you, Lord. Amen. Now, if you pray that prayer, I'll tell you something. God heard you. And he's already... Started, he's already started working in your life. A little seed's been planted deep down in your heart. And over time, you're going to begin to see the wonderful work that God is growing in your life. Get in a good Bible-based church. Learn about the Lord every day in His Word. You talk to Him every day in prayer. He's going to do beautiful things in your life. <laughs>